occupation, driver. Transporting a supercharged Dodge Challenger from Denver to San Francisco. Background, Medal of Honor in Vietnam. Former stock and bike racer. Former cop, dishonorably discharged. Now he uses speed to get himself up, to get himself gone. Everybody's after Kowalski. Because you think we're queers. For one reason or another. Is there something I can do for you? Well, like what? Like anything you want. Everybody wants a piece of his hide. Maybe kill somebody. Maybe stole that big dude of his. Maybe both. They want to get him and put him away. But they'll have to catch him first. On the road? On that long, winding road? On that long road, that Route 66. I don't know what road. What what road was Kowalski on? What was the highway? Uh, let's see. Well, he went from Colorado into Nevada, so I'm guessing he was on the 40. He's probably on the 40. On that Route 60 suck it. <laughs> yeah you know nice that's a good way to introduce this welcome to midnight flicks a podcast dedicated to discussing movies that we like yeah or may not like yeah that may be relegated to a late night purgatory we don't know that's why we're, we're here we're not even gonna like we're here to find yeah, out we're gonna, de- we're gonna decide that we're gonna establish that up front we're moving into a new season here pretty soon where we might have to tinker a little bit with the format want to maybe upgrade a little bit you know re kind of refurbish some things so maybe a little bit of out with the old and with the new oh one of my favorite one of my favorite terms reestablish the brand reestablish the brand brand exactly um so anyways and i'm welcomed as always by what is <laughs> I can't see the full thing. Super, super what? Superman? Super suck it. Super meanie. That's right. Super meanie. Yeah. All right. Well, good to see you, buddy. Hi. Um, how was your holiday? Did we see each other? I don't know. When was when was the last time we, we really hung out uh, on here? I don't know. When, when, when did we last e-hang? Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. I think it was... It was just after the holiday. It was right after Christmas. Um, yeah, I'm doing all right. I mean, our discussion off mic has been something that's been on my mind quite a bit, that everybody in our respective fields of showbiz sucks shit. Showbiz. Showbiz. You can't have the show without the biz. Yeah, that's right. Show- Busy bodies getting out there and causing trouble, really pissing people off, bodies. showing wieners to children, fucking whatever, putting razor blades and chocolate bars. You know, you just can't, yeah. you just can't keep these showbiz guys out of the mischief. You know? Yeah, they don't know what to, they don't know what to do with their hands. They're those people that they don't know what to do with their hands. They're they're back. They're bad, and they're they're on probation, right? Yeah. You know who's also bad and back and and always getting into some sort of syrup? Mm. Kowalski. <laughs> you bet your sweet ass. 
He's in. He's into some. He's 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 got his little fly fingers in the syrup, all right. Yeah, which you know, he's just a man that's trying to get a car from one point to the other, but somehow just hey. can't seem to stay out of the the. He can't. The man, he can't stay mess. out of the honey trap because all the all the smoky bears are after him. You know. <laughs> they all want a piece of what piece of what he's got. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about 1971, the uh, Richard Seraphian vanishing point. Not that 91, 97 Vico Morgison piece of shit. We're talking OG baby. One of the. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen the. V- I was, I was say I haven't seen the the Vigo Mortensen one, so I, I can't comment on that. I, I can't either. I actually upon getting ready for this episode i uh i was all stoked because i thought oh cool i can just watch it on youtube and come to find out (laughs) it was the 97 one full movie sure but it wasted my time so i had to actually buy this movie on ebay i got a vhs copy which it's cool i got it in my collection now so that's cool yeah for being what i would think is a pretty well-known but cult movie, yeah. it was kind of elusive. It's super yeah, elusive. I, you couldn't buy it or anything on any of like the main streaming platforms. Um, you what, did you have to end up going to Scarecrow to get it? I did. Yeah. Did you get DVD Which or did you get VHS? Got the Blu-ray. Blu-ray. I got Blu-ray. Man, ray Oh, side note. <clears throat> You have to forgive me. I got some kind of plague here, so I'm a little bit, a uh, little coffee, coffee on the Mikey. That's all right. Um, I mean, we're technically doing these out of order. You, you listeners won't know, but this is the bookend of us recording it, and we started it with me having the plague. Sure. So we're just full circle here. Yeah. So <clears throat> if you listen to the first episode, the. Uh, Man Bites Dog episode, you hear me uh, hacking and wheezing, and you know, I edited it out here and there, but there's still a little bit of a off the mic. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just want to make a correction, though, just so people, for all you nerds out there that might try and weasel in on us, is it's it's Richard Seraphian, isn't it? Seraphian. Seraphian. What did I say? Seraphian? Seraphian. Oh, okay. Seraphian. Yes, I think you were correct. One of these directors that, honestly, I don't know fuck all about. I don't either. But this movie came out in a time when, I mean, the zeitgeist is coming post-Vietnam and um, American exploitation type of film. You know, this is hot off the tail of like uh, Easy Rider, these kinds of movies. Now, it's interesting, though, because when you get down into the plot, no one can really give even the actors can't give you a totally straight answer about any kind of like exposition or message on what it means. It's one of these films that you kind of choose your own adventure and 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 pick what you want from it. Um I'll give you yeah. a little I'll give you a brief synopsis that I wrote. Kowalski, a traumatized car delivery driver haunted by his many pasts becomes something of an icon to a post-Vietnam youth as he races a supercharged Dodge Challenger from Denver to San Francisco in impossible time, besting the police in every state 
and encountering an uncanny cast of misfits, bandits, bandits, and supporters along the way. He reflects on his life as he races fatally closer to his own vanishing point. It's a good one. Yeah, I like how you pointed out that in the synopsis that he has, it's like he has many past lives. It does. That have all, that have all culminated into the present Kowalski, Kowalski right. that we're witnessing in the, yeah. in, in the, in the movie. I'm, so. I'm, I'm going to put a pin and I'll, I'll get back into that. So, uh, 1971, the budget's about a million five. Um, according to Wikipedia, it grossed uh, 12 million, just, just south of 12 and a half million, 12.4, um, as a worldwide gross. Now from the reviews that I read, they're positive, but it, was kind of a sleeper in the States. It took a while to yeah. get there. People didn't get it. it. It's initial critical reception was very poor, but it started to gain some traction in the UK. Um, along with films like French connection. Um, and it wasn't mentioned in what I saw, but right in around that same time as the original gone in 60 seconds. Um, right. It might've been a couple years later, but you know, it was kind of a fad at the time, these 70s car chase films. Um, yeah, a, uh, in the tradition of the Great American Road sure. uh, film. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've always thought of this movie as like a very mature Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> it's kind of a similar premise. Um, I would say that also almost like almost like an art house. Yeah. Uh, Smokey and the Bandit. It's a. It's it's a, it is delivered very. It's delivered in a, in a, in an artful, kind of surreal, yeah manner, yeah, disjointed a little bit. Right, it, it leaves a it leaves a lot uh, open to interpretation. Um, you know, similar to I, I keep bringing this up, but similar to like Easy Rider, that movie definitely has a message, but a lot of his shots and. And things you just kind of it was of that time when there wide lots of wide shots, lots of slow zooming shots, just on I mean in this movie, just like junk in the desert sometimes, you know. Um the car very much is its own character, you know. Um it's an extension of our man Kowalski. And um the thing that I I found interesting. It's like kind of like what you were saying is that Kowalski is, he's essentially, I mean, um, the DJ says, you know, he keeps touting Kowalski as the last American hero. And if you, if you look at it from the the perspective of of Americana, he really was at one time he was a stock car racer. At one time he was a, a Vietnam serving in Vietnam so much so that he gained the Medal of was Honor. A, yeah, it was a war hero. He was a war hero who is clearly forgotten because all people only know him as a Kowalski. They don't even know who the fuck he is. He was a, uh, mo, you know, mo, not motocross. I don't know what you'd call it. The the moto circuit. It's not motocross. Motocross is dirt bikes. He was a demolition derby driver. Yeah, he was a stock car. Yeah, he was a driver. He was a motorcycle guy. Um, he was a, a Vietnam a, awarded, decorated Vietnam veteran. He was also a police officer. And from what we see, he was 
kind of one of the good guys, or he tried to be. Um, so, you know, he has all of these experiences under his his wing here. And as he's doing this drive, it's like he's reflecting on all of these traumas that is, have occurred throughout his many <coughs> instances of, um, you know, being a part of um, American society. I, I don't know. I guess that's society anywhere, but this movie definitely is an American movie. You know, if it were to take place yeah. in another country or something, it just it wouldn't resonate the same. Well, yeah, because it reflects these these ideas that are ever present in American pop culture, American culture, artistic culture in general, but American pop culture, the rugged individualist, mm-hmm. one man up against everything. Sure. Up, you know, the, the one person that he, they are fighting the world, essentially. He's, he's the Rambo of the blacktop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's one way to put it for sure. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> we do want to mention that this is a part of our, what we had described, our self-implosion, self-destruction series. Yeah. This is the third yep. in the series. Um, and it's funny because I had not seen this movie until this viewing. And if you take that in mind that we're talking about movies um, that are about self-destruction or self-implosion. If you're watching the movie for the first time, you're kind of like, well, I don't really see sure. how that applies. But you see at the end. Yeah. The final act, the final act certainly drives it home. It it really it really bulldozes the point, right? Literally and figuratively. <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, so again, this is my first time seeing it, and I quite enjoyed this movie. Yeah, thought it was uh, it was a real fun romp of a movie. Yeah, you know, Krista uh, and I were talking about it. We watched it together, and she's going, "I wonder what Adam's going to think of it." Because it could go either way, you know. Well, here's what I also say about this. Considering this movie, like, in relationship to the other three that we've watched. This is certainly the most enjoyable, repeat watchability (sighs) sort of movie. This is one that, like, yeah, there is this, like, melancholy that that pervades the movie, obviously. There's a sadness... And despair that's that is imbued within the character of Kowalski, clearly. Um, but it's still fun. Yeah. There's a lot of action and there's some really quirky characters, a lot of really fun character development, character writing in this. You know, it's funny because this this movie in particular, but kind of akin to um, like these lone cowboy Western films that maybe like Clint Eastwood had done where you find these quirky kind of misfits along the way. It's very much like how, how video games are now, you know, this quest, this journey, and you meet all of these weirdos that you have, that you have to do something for some kind of taskmaster, right. You know, 
task minding to to procure something that happens through this movie throughout you know yeah a lot of like interesting npcs as they call yeah, them yeah sure um um stranger encounters or something yeah yeah um and also it's funny that you mentioned that cuz this movie does it does play out a lot like a western yeah not just in terms of the landscape yeah. but yes in terms of the journey of the hero. Sure. The hero, the anti-hero, perhaps. Yeah. The pretty mysterious figure, not really sure what his motivations are. And you start to learn to love him as the story goes on, I guess. Right. Well, that being said, uh, of course, we have to shout out our sponsors before we move on. Sure. So... Take it away, Brandon. Who is our sponsor for this evening? Uh, well, it's a throwback. It's an oldie but a goodie from a, a, a bygone time. This is brought to you by Kowalski Push-Ups Cups. Made by bikers for truckers. This delicious dish is a two-in-one decadent snack that you will need for those long stretches of waiting out Johnny Law Blue Meanie out in the desert. It's a creamy snack treat benzedrine combo meal. It's as, re- as refreshing as it is a rush. Three flavors, vanilla, orange sherbet, and glass shard. <laughs> Kowalski push-ups cups. It puts the ups back in trucker meth. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, as always, to our sponsors. You keep... You keep the wheels turning on this podcast. Hey, you keep the wheels turning on the podcast. You keep the wheels turning on the fucking Mary Misfit out in the desert. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay, um, do you have anything else off the top before we move on? Not really. Just that um, this movie, I, I I would be interested to take a um, bird's eye view of a collection of movies around maybe – five years of this because I feel like even when you get into horror and things like um, this movie has a certain a kinship to like the cinematography of well Duel we talked about Duel but like Last House on the Left to me the that kind of slow shots and like disjointed type of music at some points with what's actually happening that kind of thing um this movie, you can definitely tell, even if it was rendered to be super sharp, you know, audio, visual and stuff, you would be able to t- know for sure the era in which it, it, it came from. Just from the content, the shot, the way the shots are framed, etc. Um, I find it interesting as a sidebar, but I'd like to go back maybe and talk about four movies or so from this era and see what kind of commonalities we can come up with. Yeah, that'd be good. Okay. Well, then let's talk about the movie some more with the good, the bad, and the questionable. And there goes the challenger being chased by the blue, blue meanies on wheels. The vicious traffic squad car after our lone driver. The super driver of the Golden West. The police numbers are getting closer, closer, closer to our soul hero in his soul mobile. They're going to kill him, smash him, rip. 
Sorry to go always with the good. I'm going to kick it off real quick, and I'm, I'm going to let you have most of the floor here because this is your pick. Um, but I wanted to state, always uh, love a good uh, cop baiting. Yeah. Cat and mouse fucking with the cops. Sure. Seeing how, seeing how far you can get. How how much you can you can poke them? Yeah, yeah, sure. I um, along with that, you know, one of my my coming up a lot in my movies. The main celebrity here for me, Carrie Lofton, stunt driver of the era. He he was also was Christine essentially, and Christine stunt driver and in duel and duel. Yeah. So you know, all of these stunts are practical. Um, except for the final act stunt, there was some help there, but you know, stunt drivers in the day when stunt drivers were really making their money, getting into some fucking bad accidents and things like that, risking themselves for a good shot. Always appreciate when men were men. When, yeah. When, when men were men and weren't afraid to f- smoke glass, you know? <laughs> Yeah, great, great chases. Lots of great chases. Lots of lots of action and stunt driving. Here. Cool cars. You know, once in a while, like we get into a little bit of car talk on here. We get into one of the, the subsidiary little topics we like to circle around. Cool cars, cool guns. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, you know, I know you're a gun guy. Oh uh, yeah, I, I according to some, I'm a real gun nut. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't say that. I don't even own a gun anymore. Yeah, I don't think you're a gun nut, but I know that you are. You, you're educated. You're educated on some guns. I know a thing or two about slinging lead. But uh, yeah, cool. Popping caps. Popping caps. Cool car. The car. I mean, I again. Here's another kind of movie that falls into a mantra with me, where the car plays a character, like the. Kowalski's car that he's driving um, out of the Southwest in in Frisco uh, is a 1970 Dodge Challenger RT 440 V8 Hemi. Yeah, I I love that era of Challenger. I believe it's actually a Magnum engine as well. Yeah. But the car is so much like, you know, the rider and his trusty steed or whatever. It's just as much a character in this movie, in my opinion, as all of the other weirdos and, and the, and the main as in the main actor, it's, it's the main supporting actor in my opinion. Um, I really appreciate the kind of artistic approach and, uh, the kind of preamble we get in the intro scene and like the first 15 minutes, 10 minutes of the movie where you see these bulldozers creeping up the highway in some like old kind of burned out forgotten town. And they park themselves on the highway. You see Kowalski barreling in on the highway You see the road flares. And then it really hits like he, he pulls off the road and he's thinking about what he's going to do. And he gets back on the highway again. And there's that f- still frame where he's passing a Lincoln going the other way or an Imperial Chrysler or something. And then in that freeze shot, the challenger fades away, disappears. 
And then it says, the, you know, the time and date. Well, upon revisiting that scene, that's that's him passing himself, essentially. Like that kind of yeah. art artistry is really cool. Once you get to the end of the movie and you see the final act, you can see the significance of the challenger fading away. You know, it's to suggest like um, a time, I guess, if, if you connect that that Imperial that's driving the opposite direction is him on a previous trip, you know? Yeah. That's him going the one way, but then he's it, it fading away. It's like suggests that he's hit that vanishing point, you know? Because once we get to the end of the movie, it's like, yeah, there is no challenger anymore. So I yeah. I really appreciate all of that. To me, I take a lot of inference from that. And I, I think that it's there's an allegory there, despite the fact that there's this movie's kind of like has an ambiguous direction, I guess. Well, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. This this movie does a really good job of playing with time. Yeah. And and making time disjointed and kind of fluid it, because it's like there's like multiple layers of kind of chronology that are happening so you have first off i really gen, generally like movies that have timestamps yes yeah. yeah, there's something about establishing a timestamp but that timestamp in this movie kind of anchors you a little bit while the editing of the movie itself keeps kind of flashing back, flashing forward, taking you out of place, putting you in a different place. Cause that's the thing. It's like when it goes to the flashback sequences, it doesn't do it in what you would consider like a typical, I guess, traditional manner where it's like, maybe there's like a, you know, like a soft lens effect right. or, or there's black like a, and a white or something, or anything like that. It's just, you, you know, again, it, it, it it's messing with your sense of what is going on. Yeah. Where are you at in the story? Where are you at in Kowalski's timeline? Yeah. And that brings me to bring up one of the things, you know, that I noted was with this movie is what it makes you almost feel like is Kowalski's already dead. Right. And maybe this is, afterlife well and that's kind of what i feel with that vanishing challenger scene is that he's passing a black car it's like to me resembling the death you know right. and that he's passing yeah. himself and it fades away it's like it's a foregone conclusion and maybe yeah. he always knew that maybe he's on a death ride and he knows it you know yeah yeah because clearly what they're trying to say in the movie or what it's trying to show you is this path to being isolated and kind of um, detached from the world around him. It seems, you know, it, it, it starts with the trauma of him losing his, his girlfriend or his wife, right. or, you know, and then you see the cuts to like the stories on the headlines and the newspaper where she drowned. Sure. And this is like, what's kind of has propelled him into this role of being this loner, 
you know, kind of uh, thrill seeker. Because that was another thing to kind of tie it into the whole concept that we're talking about here is we have different kinds of addictions <laughs> that are propelling the characters we're talking about, the central characters in these movies towards their self-destruction. It's like with Man Bites Dog, it's, it's violence, yeah. it's murder. Yep. With Bad Lieutenant, it's drugs. It's addiction to drugs. Um, with this movie, I think it's like he's addicted to thrill. Right. He's addicted to the thrill seeking. The thrill seeking, but also I kind of gather because every flashback we see is is like a different vignette of a failure in his life. Or some kind of trauma. I mean, severe trauma. He gets in a fucking horrible motorcycle accident. He rolls his car. You can only imagine what his service in Vietnam was like if he got a Medal of Honor. <laughs> you know, his uh, interaction with another corrupt cop, etc. So, I kind of gather that this type of character that Kowalski is... The metaphor of him just being speed thrill junkie all the time, it's like he's trying to run from himself. Yeah. He's trying to escape himself in any way that he can. And um, he's just into doing speed and driving fast. So, you know, yeah. it, it benefits his life to be doing this job because it's what he already would be doing is something totally dangerous and and at turned up to 11 like whatever that is right yeah for sure um so we gotta talk about super soul super soul cleavon little <laughs> yeah maybe super soul is great um lots of great dialogue there yeah uh, and I don't know if you picked this up or your take on this is the same as mine, but the way I kind of read Super Soul as a character, his relationship to Kowalski is he's like Kowalski's conscience. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's sort of suggested that there's a bit of a supernatural element going on there. Yeah. Which it's badass that Kowalski's conscience is like a blind black disc jockey in the south somewhere right you know right yeah i thought that was great um just that whole also that 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 discussion that a movie for that time was having about race yeah. tying in race relations in with this this whole overarching concept of this you know American hero, anti-hero individual. This, like, in a lot of ways, um, just the kind of archetypal white man. Right. Masculine white man represented in cinema and pop culture. That his duality, his consciousness, his better angel, as they say, is a soulful blind black guy in some <laughs> yeah some, some locale indeterminate locale right probably the south yeah yeah 
Yeah, um, I think that's great. The His character, you know, off, offers a little bit of comic relief, but he's not like the zany jive black guy or whatever from uh, like Shaft movies or something. He's pretty serious. I mean, he gets he gets yeah. down with his his you know DJ kind of persona, but when it becomes really clear that he is intent on trying to aid and abet Kowalski, it's like it, it gets it becomes a very quickly a different tone. Just watching him walk to the the like pirated radio station, that slow scene of him walking with his dog and all of these cracker ass white people watching him go and just like guffawing and scowling at him because what does it matter to them? He can't see them. You know, it's like one of those, if your neighbors could hear what you think kind of thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that his character is a, is a really nice kind of contrast to something that would otherwise be just kind of whitewashed machismo bullshit movie, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um with him, I the, the the soundtrack oh. is pretty badass. Soundtrack's amazing. You know, all, Love the all that awesome R&B stuff. Yeah. Yeah, super cool. Yeah, um, I kind of I already mentioned about the editing. The editing's great in this, but also the way it kind of stitches all of these scenes together. It almost makes me feel like this is just like a desert panorama yeah. that you could like almost be sitting in. Like think about a panorama if you go like into like a museum or something. You're standing in the middle of the room, and like the panorama is painted in the circular, in the round, yeah. so to uh-huh. speak. It's almost like that's how I feel like it is. You could turn at any moment. You can see these things happening yeah. on a swivel. That's kind of how I feel about this movie. Well, I, I um, mean, as a person who currently lives in the desert down here in Arizona, uh, you see some crazy, strange, freaky shit, which is which is ironic because just at a bird's eye view, there's nothing there. There's nothing, right. But it's so full of life often the strangest type of life, you know? And in this case, it's like all of these weird people, the prospector, the, 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 the gay bandits, (laughs) you know, the nude motorcycle lady, the fucking, um, just the Jehovah's out in the desert, you know? Right. Again, like you were saying, like those characters that he comes upon that kind of lead him on almost side quests. <laughs> side quests, exactly. And the name is so apt, you know, a vanishing point, this point on the horizon that's never attainable. It's never attainable. And, exactly. and it's and it's seemingly endless. And here's this guy on this seemingless, like completely impossible, endless journey, just all this time to reflect and expound upon his life, the, his past life and this life that's currently going on, trying to see the end, but there is no end. Yeah. And then he even says when he calls into the one, I can't, 
I, I, sorry, I'm having trouble remembering exactly what his relationship is, is this guy, but he calls the one guy at home. Oh, the guy that he bets with the Bennies. Yeah, he, and he's talking about how like he's going to get the car there on time, yeah. but that's the whole thing. It's like, you know, yeah. the car is not going to get there. He's never going to make There's it. There's never an end to yeah, sure. So, Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and his buddy knows, you know. He's like, man, right. you're, that's crazy. You're crazy. You don't even try it. Just stay till Monday or whatever. Everybody yeah. tries to talk him down, and he has this just mysterious drive, no pun intended, to make this impossible journey. I guess it's like to up the stakes, but I read into it that there's something more that he already had this predetermined destiny of what meets him on the road, you know? Yeah. And so that brings us to, I want to kind of go more in depth with these, these kind of side characters, uh, side quest uh, kind of here. So talked about super soul. There's yeah. The snake Randall wrangler, right? Little prospector. Fella. And again, that's, and that's exactly, <laughs> that was the moment when I had that thought that you pointed out where it's, it's like, now we have the, these, this mythology being developed further by these side characters, yeah. by these, and it absolutely these is a counterpart, right? And it absolutely is a quest. Kowalski needs help getting out of a desert, and he needs fuel. This guy will do these things if you take him over here or whatever, so he can get his truck fixed. And uh, what a weird, kooky situation! I mean, put yourself in Kowalski's situation. The dude hasn't from what we've seen eaten any food he's been up since at least the day before on yeah. on meth he's been dr- strung out strung yeah. out he's driven now across two states Colorado and into Nevada and uh blows it blows a tire <coughs> and then runs across this fucking guy where there there's no reason for anybody to be out there yeah, and then he f- further he he helps him hide from the cops from the helicopter, <laughs> and then he takes him to some weird ass <laughs> like church cult to 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 save his bacon and get some fuel. You know, like what a fucking trip for a strung out like shard man. To be on. Well, and that's where I I got more and more of the feeling that we're trying, we're supposed to read this as like, this is the afterlife. He's like in some sort of purgatory almost, right. you know, and he's being led by these, these characters in the afterlife to his final destination in the afterlife. Yeah. What, what, what is he going to ultimately choose? You know? Right. Yeah, and I mean, there. Whether it's true or not, it appears that there's strange symbolism, like his white car being like the pale horse, you know, um, the serpents in the basket, and all of that. I mean, that's a good way to explain away having the prospector out there, I guess, snake catching snakes. But you know, the weird cult, the 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 like. I don't know if you'd draw the line of like Adam and Eve, the biker babes or whatever, but 
there's just all of these people that you could see as religious iconography of some kind yeah. that would play into this kind of spiritual narrative, side narrative, or maybe not even a side. Maybe it's the entire narrative. Um, I think it is. It is a spiritual quest in a lot of right. ways. Yeah, it's like this guy trying to find some kind of atonement or absolution for his like sometimes deranged life. It's very, it's very uh, adventurous life. Yeah, which brings us to the next character I want to talk about, which is the the nude writer. Sure. <laughs> now the nude writer and angel, angel. There you go in the yeah. name. It's in the a. He and he is. He's his guardian he's angel. His guardian angel. He finds him. He finds him on the road. He takes him back to get hooked up. Get hooked up so he can keep driving. He meets the nude rider, and the nude rider, not coincidentally, looks very similar to what was his his girlfriend. Sure. So there's a parallel there, yeah. and I feel like again that also really delves into this dreamlike quality of the movie where the way she's interacting with him, she's interacting with him, not just in a flirtatious manner, but also like they had met before. Right. I've known you all along. I've seen what you've done. And he, he, the way he's expressing himself to her is like, well, I've never met you before, but then she pulls out the sandwich board the, collage, the sandwich board collage of, of his story. Which, yeah. which is funny because any other time, like in modern time, that would be super creepy. <laughs> but this lady yeah. is like a stalker of this obscure race car driver, ex-cop, Medal of Honor award winner or whatever. Right. But again, that's a thing that you would experience in a dream. In a dream. Like if, you, if you would have a dream, you'd be like, oh – why does this character know so much about me? What, you know, why, why are they <clears throat> assembling a collage of my life? Sure, in a dream or in a, like a spiritual quest into the desert, like many Native American cultures used to do, a little peyote trip into the desert to open up some greater, you know, meaning of your life. Yeah. Um, if it seems, yeah, the more we talk about it, the more it seems like it's a kind of maybe an amalgamation, but a pair, some kind of spiritual parallel to this movie. I mean, a lot of it is like appealing, I think, fanfare, appealing to counterculture, you know, lots of mm -hmm. drugs going on, the biker people, the, the gay, the gays, like there's representation of a little bit of all of these, um, fringe kind of, I say fringe with like air quotes because you know it's not fringe anymore <clears throat> but of the time these right. these countercultures counter right exactly yeah for sure um so speaking of angel I love the plan that he developed it's, to break the road it's good it's good. This is what does he say? This is your meal ticket, or this is your fucking pork chop, or something. Yeah. <laughs> he throws the bike on the top with the. Yeah, it's good. Flashing light. Yeah. That has the 
the uh, crank siren. Yep. And the cops fall for it right as they blow through. They're like, oh, it's him. So good. Yeah, that's that was hilarious. I mean, again, this movie, it's like it's got it's the the feeling of the weight, the balance of like some funny kind of um satirical, you know, moments like the gay bandit scene, I find funny. We'll probably talk <laughs> about that, so I'll just leave it at that. But you know, his interaction with his, with, with the cops, it's like Smokey and the Bandit, you know, like this is kind of a joke. The the other race car driver on the road or whatever. But yeah, the, the Keystone the, cop, like slapstick element right. to it. But then there's yeah. times when it gets extremely serious, you know, and yeah. it can kind of show all of these. I mean, it's, it's a, what a great, example of a journey through an entire person's life you know good times the bad times and and the weird times in between or whatever i really i do like the pacing the weight of balancing like serious narratives with some humorous elements that being one of them i mean we'll clear the road it's the cops <laughs> yeah. Challenger with a mini bike on the top. That's great. Right. Just because it's also, once again, proving the cops are stupid. Yeah. Dumb as a sack. Dumb as a, dumb as a sack of hammers, you know? Bunglers. Um, so, yeah. I mean, that's that's what I got. I just want to say that that final scene. Yeah. Great. The literal, literal self-implosion of Kowalski. Yeah, it's great. Um, And it just ends on that. I like that it ends. There's a finality. I do too. There's no further exposition. There's nothing to know more than this is it. It's over. Yeah. I love that. I love how that kind of comes back around with the shots from the beginning. I mean, we see this a lot in movies now where the end is played right at the beginning and then it's revisited. Um, Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not like a cinephile, but that seems to be kind of a unique idea uh, to show these scenes at the beginning and then at the end to show, you know, the same scenes essentially, but from different angles and stuff, especially like the road flare, he passes the flares and just that look on his face. It's almost like he's happy to see death coming, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's what it looks like. It's like, it's a look of relief. It's a look of relief. Yeah. This, this weight, this burden of life is being lifted and he's, yeah, it's like he's setting off into the afterworld or, or something. Or if you think about the fact that it kind of like it has this like loop quality to it where it shows the end of the beginning and shows the beginning at the end, it can almost be interpreted as kind of like a, a reincarnation sort of parable. Like he's sure. stuck in that rebirth loop that, yeah. that Buddhists he's just, or Hinduists he, talk about. He's just doomed to drive another car from Frisco to Denver. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and that's the thing. So when he's driving into 
the bulldozers, the backhoes or whatever, um, you see that look of almost like beatific, like relief. Like he's, he's, uh, finally, you know, his time has come. There's like an irony to it because he's going to die and he's going to have to do it all over. Yeah. Again. Well, and, and for me, I mean, aside from the very final act, you know, we've kind of touched on that. He's a thrill junkie in all of us, but there could be another element that this is a self implosion film because he is reflecting on his life and this, you know, he's a car driver. Apparently he's pretty qualified at his job and he's pretty secure in it. He's done it several times. Um, no known issues. And here he is on this final ride and he's just decided, all right, I'm just going to go for it. A mysterious motivation, why he needs to get back and why he cannot be burdened by stopping for cops, stopping, you know, any longer than he needs to for fuel, for provisions, for more bennies, whatever. It's like he's, unraveling as as we're, we're watching him like a, a yarn ball unraveling as it gets blown down the road you know <laughs> yeah so i mean that's another i don't know if everybody would take that from this movie but the initial time that i had watched this movie it came out to me like that you know is that why why is this guy doing this you know I didn't I didn't at the time consider like, oh yeah, well look at his prior history in life. He's a thrill junkie, he's an adrenaline junkie. I just looked at it as like he's got nothing to lose. He's looking at his past and uh he's just kind of ready ready to spin down into that final final act, you know. Yeah. Um Anyways, uh, yeah, so what I wanted to say, too, um, that this movie in certain ways, sorry, I was looking up the info about it to see how closely related these movies were chronologically, but a lot of ways this movie also reminds me of um, Death Race 2000, the original one. David Carradine, Stallone. um, Yeah. Can't remember. Similar kind of loner, racer, death racer, yeah. thrill seeker type driver that keeps meeting these side quest characters, yeah. these companion characters along the way. <laughs> what? When did um, when did that one drop? I mean, what was the uh, release? Death Race 2000 came out in 75, okay. so four years. So I, I feel like there probably was like some callback to that to to vanishing point people do people do laud vanishing point as the quite possibly the granddaddy of car chase movies yeah it's it is good it's quite good so um have you ever have you ever seen to live and die in la um i don't think so also has some pretty choice car chases in yeah, it uh the original gone in 60 seconds from 1974 I wouldn't say that's a Lone Ranger necessarily. It's a team of people, but it ends in a similar type of fate that this guy has got to deliver this vehicle at all costs. 
And then it becomes like yeah. a showdown with the police, you know? Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we're getting close to the hour mark. I wanted to move on unless you got some other things to comment. Uh, no, I mentioned the soundtrack. Yeah, no, let's move on. I'm, I'm good to move on. What, what, what bads do you got? I don't really have a lot. I don't have, so. I don't have any bads. I, I guess, I guess looking back is like, <clears throat> This movie, I think the runtime, it's an it's hour and 40 minutes. It seems yeah. like some of the scenes, if I was to have any bad, it just seems a little bit long-winded in some of the sh- wide shots. And Okay, we, we see the car coming and just like the amount of different angles you can get the car driving on a d- desolated highway, you know, desolate highway. That, that yeah. maybe is a little bit bloated, but doesn't bother it doesn't yeah, I, bother me at the same time yeah yeah i felt like there was kind of like a little bit of like a pacing thing with me but yeah it wasn't wasn't in a, in a way that made me feel <coughs> that the movie was dragging for sure so yeah whatever i think it's also just because it has that kind of dreamy quality to it and it just you know it kind of lingers a little bit and, right yeah um I, I think ahead, I think I th- I look at it as a bad from maybe a wider audience's perspective of not understanding the movie, and that if you were sure. to show it to certain people who aren't or who aren't ready to maybe accept like a sort of ambiguous artistic vision type of film, it's gonna it's gonna yeah. come off as very boring. Yeah, it's gonna be hard to capture yeah. modern audiences, I would think. Sure, but again, it is punctuated with enough action that you would think that it would keep most people's attention. But it's not; it isn't a constant barrage right. of it's it's chase and violence. It's chase not and a violence. Michael Bay film or something. <laughs> it's which certainly is not a Michael Bay. Film. Yeah, but that's it. I mean, um, if I was to if I was to nitpick, that would probably be my only bad quality of this movie. My only bad, and I guess we didn't really get to talk about him too much related to this was, uh, and this isn't like a bad for the movie as far as anything technical. I just, folky fucking hippies, man. Oh, yeah. Just just wavy gravy ass, acoustic guitar, banging fucking hippies. <laughs> well, hey, they're out, in the ju- they're out in the fucking desert ready to just cook their balls off. So, which... Jehovah, that's who I wanted to talk about. We didn't really, we didn't talk a lot about Jehovah. Yeah. Jehovah's kind of an asshole. He's a fucking kind of a no prick. shit. This is a closed <laughs> meeting. It's like, well, how are you going to get any followers? Isn't a cult all about getting followers? You know. <clears throat> but that's again where I think about this being, you know, kind of this allegory of the afterlife is, you know. Chris, the Christian God is a fucking asshole. Sure. And if he was a if he was a real you know, if he was manifested as a man, he'd be a fucking prick. Right. Like and that. obviously for Jehovah's congregation to be serenading the desert to to nobody and capturing no new audience, he's he's obviously got like a ego trip going. You know? <laughs> His shit is so important. Um, he can just carry on, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
Just like God. Just like God. Yeah, I can just, you know, hey, my will be done. I'll play some shitty out of tune fucking acoustic crap out here in the rocks. You have to go out and seek him like Jesus. That's what Jesus did. Jesus went out to the desert and and to seek. To seek fuel, um, some veggies perhaps out of that little food cart, whatever he's got as provisions, coffee as beans, you know. Yeah. All those things. Yeah. I liked when uh, I meant to mention with the snake handler, the snake uh, wrangler, how he rattles off that list of items that he trades the rattler for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The way he rattles them off. Yep. Um, okay. Questionable. My main question, first off, was there's the guy in the Jaguar, yeah. the topless Jaguar that gets ran off the road and like flips his yep. car. How the fuck would he survive that? There's no way. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> he rolls his car after he just landed, just head on his fucking head, basically, I mean, and then the, climbs out yeah, of it. Yeah, if that's like an old school racer, it's probably got some reinforcements, some kind of roll bar or something. Sure. But even still, yeah. I mean, you think he would have been smoked? The, well, and he lands in the water canal or something so the shock alone you think he'd be in that water drowning yeah yeah that's good um my first question is what is kowalski's motivation for getting back to frisco immediately he like forces the hand of his you know supervisor or what, what i don't know who you'd call that old guy he's like give me another car i gotta go tonight where's the car you know, bound for San Francisco. So why? That, that would that would tell us a lot. Why does he have to get back so soon? He it's like he sets well, the date. Right. And I guess like again, if we're thinking of this in a literal manner, like this is and it's based in like an actual <laughs> um you know, like it's based in a material sequential linear sort of story then we would need that sort of information because it would make the plot a lot more straightforward i think the reason why you don't get you don't get that information is because it's intentionally like you were saying all along it's open-ended because this isn't about like this isn't about a man that is actually trying to deliver a car to somebody else for practical use or whatever. This is a journey the car, with the car as his, you know, the car and him exists in a symbiotic relationship. It's almost like, you know, <laughs> I don't want to get too far into the allegory, but it's like Dante's Inferno. How Virgil is Dante's guide. It's like the car, yeah. the car is Kowalski's Virgil kind of. Sure. Or I would, argue that super soul is his version yeah well, i mean right you know? is that too it's almost like like you said it's a symbiotic to say the car is almost like you're saying kowalski right yeah so i think that sort of information it's it's extraneous to the overall tale right i have to point it out because of my pedantic yeah. nature but it, if we yeah. knew the answer that would certainly make a much more boring film yeah, again, it would ground it in reality, right. whereas I don't think this movie is supposed to be grounded in reality. It's supposed to be 
floating in in a surreal ether. Sure. <laughs> um, so this made more sense as I started thinking about it as the times and everything with lack of, you know, certain technologies. But when he goes from state to state, does he just lose the cops? It's like the the, the motorbike cops, he crashes them, but then there's other cops. There's like six cops on him. He rolls a car, a couple others, but they would radio in to say, hey, cops are near the border. This guy's coming. Yeah. And then the next scene when he's in Nevada, there's no one. There's no Smokies on him for a long time. So yeah. I get that there's jurisdiction issues. Right. But you would think that and at the time also, I think state to state, maybe the departments didn't talk to each other. But from a modern sensibility, you would think you'd go, hey, he's at the Colorado border approaching Nevada. Let's phone to Nevada and tell him this guy's coming. Set the roadblock way the fuck up, you know, way closer to Colorado than than where they did. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's also kind of weird that, and they make a point to tell us this, they can't pin him with anything besides like speeding and endangered driving. It's like, what about yeah, attempt reckless driving? What about, a, what about attempted murder of police officers? That's what I, yeah, I had that thought too. <laughs> you know, I mean, I feel like he definitely has been racking up quite the rap sheet. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, from, from what they know, they don't know his extraneous drug use, but you got to throw that on there too. Um, yeah. Let's see here. How does a hippie cult have power? The Jehovah's Jehovah singers or whatever. I don't hear a generator. Certainly don't see anything like that. I mean, sure, there could be a generator. Back back in the seventies, though, I think it'd be kind of huge. Um, and they've got power. They have amplified vocal mics. Yeah, I think again that's just attributable to the <laughs> detachment of reality. It's the trippy hippies. Yeah, yeah. I kind of mentioned all this, but <clears throat> what is up with the hippie cult? Like, what are they doing out there? They're just doing their hippie thing. They're not trying to attract an audience. They're not trying to bring anybody else into their congregation because it's a private meeting. What kind of what kind of meeting? What are they? What are the talking points, you know, at, at this hippie meeting? The fuck are they doing out there? <laughs> that is how cults usually operate, though. They they kind of they they become hermetized, hermetic. They you know they try and live off the grid a bit. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. They try to establish their own territory. It just seems to me. <clears throat> in my knowledge of cults, that they do a lot to try and recruit more members. So are they just going to roll into town with some like hippie bullshit and then bring them out to the desert to just like watch their jam band play? Yeah. I don't know if necessarily all cults are trying to constantly recruit members. I don't think that every cult that is their, 
that is their business model. Um, <laughs> there's certainly some of them. Yes, they want to recruit more, but I think there's also cults that are just almost kind of content to have a more contained unit of people. Mm-hmm. You know, for ease of of overall control, maybe by the cult leader, because it just really depends on the the capacity of the cult leader to be able to hold sway sure. over a, a smaller, or larger court of people. What, what kind of Kool Aid flavor are you trying to make people drink here? No. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know, there's some cults that. Right, they're they're set on world domination. Maybe other cults, they're just trying to keep it a little, little closer to home. Maybe some cults are trying to get on a UFO. They're flying behind Haley Bop, you know? Exactly. And really all they want is they just want a Nike sponsorship. That's really the extent of their worldly needs and possessions. Right. Every cult has a Nike sponsorship. You know, this cult, I guess it's snakes until it's not. Whatever. Uh, moving on. So the stick-up queers, the the the, the queer the hand, bandits. Handgun homos. Yeah, handgun homos. There you go. <laughs> as soon as they get in the car, the Richard Ramirez-looking motherfucker goes, what direction are you headed? Uh, I get that it could be just conversational to try and – you know, lubricate the guy they're about to fleece, but isn't it obvious? I'm heading in the same direction you were heading in. He doesn't ask, where are you going? Like, what's your destination? He says, what direction are you heading in? Where are the highways going? Like, what? There's nothing else out here. Yeah, but then he replies to them. At, going to Frisco, at, and then, oh, that, that's perfect. Yeah, going to Frisco. But I wonder if that's almost like he's just telling them that. Yeah. To to give them what they want to hear. Yeah, I guess. You know, again, he's making conversation. He's making kind of cheeky conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those 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 fellas were pretty cheeky. Yeah, they were. They were funny. They had some zoomer sunglasses on. Um Okay, so n- naked motor babe out in the desert. Fully naked. Yeah. We're out in the desert yeah. where even at eight in the morning, it could be fucking 90 degrees. She would burn the shit out of her entire naked body on that motorcycle. You know? Well, she's slathered up with some <coughs> suntan lotion. Yeah, I guess. But that doesn't help the temperature. I mean, that, that leather seat, that fucking cooking gas can, get you know, gas tank. Touching on the inner thighs, I burned the fuck out of you. That was my main thought. It was like, that's girl, that's dangerous. That's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. What are you doing putting around at five miles an hour out there? You got <laughs> rattlers, you got scorpion guys, you got goat's head thorns, you got cactus to run over. You know, you could <laughs> drop your huge fucking bottle of pills. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, finally, we see instances where Kowalski just burns out into the desert to evade something. Why doesn't he just go out into the desert and completely sidestep the bulldozer blockade? I mean, again, I know it's because it was a predestined thing. 
and you can yeah. see that he wants this, but I don't know. If if you again if you look at it from another angle that he's just you know he's just hits it last minute kind of thing or something. The man is quick witted enough. He could have just sidestepped the whole thing. It's kind of a dumb plan to put up a blockade on a fucking desert highway anyway. Yeah. Well, again, I think if this movie was more grounded in reality, there was, if the logic of the movie was tethered to our logic, our everyday logic, sure. Mm -hmm. Well, that's all I got. All right. Fantastic. I'll get him. I'll wrap that up. I'll get him. Stick your pretty little head. Right through that, baby. That's it. Now we got him. Now we'll get our basket over here. Look at that live and wig run here. Ain't that a beauty? Oh. Ain't that a fat one, though? Now we'll get him in here. Thank you, Tom. That's got it. Thank you. How many do you have in there? Got six rattlers, two sideliners, now we've got one very precious diamond back. What do you do with those things? Trade them. Trade them for coffee, sugar, chewing tobacco, salt, flour, and beans, and lots of beans. We're going to move into the back half of the program with the quotes and the awards and categories section. Um, As a little bit of a sidebar for longtime listeners... I wanted to mention that traditionally with this podcast, every new season, we roll out a whole new slate of awards and categories, keep it fresh. And this block of movies is going to be the last block for this season. We've made it again. I can't believe it, Brandon. We're, we're going to be wrapping it up here with the next episode. Yeah. Hell yeah. We're going to go into, into big five, five seasons yeah. So this is going to be uh, the one of two last hurrahs for this category. So um, kiss them goodbye. Don't ever quit me, baby. They were good. They were good while they lasted. Hug them, squeeze them, uh, hold them next to you for now. You're going to have to let them go. You're going to have to let the birdies fly out of the nest. Hey, Tuesday's gone with the wind. You know what I'm saying? That's true. So that being said, quotes. Well, I had a quote. Um, I had a few quotes. This has some good ones. Mine was, uh, this is from one of the cops where he says, you better let Nevada handle it. This guy is nuts. Yeah, that's a good one. I got one from another (laughs) cop. Freedom faggot. (laughs) I think he's tired. Super, super, Super soul is talking. Or um, one of the, I can't remember, one of the supporters of Kowalski or somebody's talking about something on the radio. Freedom, faggot. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I'm going to have to pull it up here. I don't have it pulled up. I didn't type it out, but I want to find this one. Because, and this kind of will, you you might have had this for the trivia, so I might be stepping ahead a little. Uh, a little bit, but 
when I heard this line or this monologue, I should say, or soliloquy or whatever you want to call it, these lines, I was listening to it. I'm like, that sounds familiar. Where do I know that from? And I finally figured it out at the end, but I'm going to go ahead and quote this here. This is from Super Soul. There goes the Challenger being chased by the blue, blue meanies on wheels, the vicious traffic squad cars, or after our lone driver, the last American hero, the electric centaur, the demigod, the super driver of the Golden West. Two nasty Nazi cars are close behind the beautiful lone driver. The police numbers are getting closer, closer, closer to our sole hero in his sole mobile. Yeah, baby, they about to strike. They're going to get him. Smash. Rape. The last beautiful free soul on this planet. It's great, great. Scripture. Great. Scripture. Great, great monologue. And I was like, where do I know that from? I know that from Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Yep. From the song Breakdown. Use Your Illusion. And Use Your Illusion. I believe it's on Use Your Illusion 2. Yeah. Which was the first one. I got Use Your Illusion 2 before Use Your Illusion 1 when gotcha. they came out. Mm-hmm. And um, and I never knew until this point that that's where that's from. <laughs> you know, I just made the connection of of uh, how Super Soul is very much like the DJ and the Warriors. Hey, boppers. Oh, yeah. You know. It's pretty. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's pretty similar. Um, trying again, like again, like it's like the consciousness, yeah. the, the, the voice that's trying to lead our heroes safely sure. to, to, to their, their destination. Uh, so I have one more and it's also from, from super. He says, Sunday morning, with all that goodwill and some evil will thrown in for good measure. <laughs> thought that was pretty funny. That's good. I also had this thought, speaking of, because we're talking about Super Soul and like his relationship to uh, Kowalski as a consciousness or a state of mind. You can almost think of like Super Soul as like, you know, there's the, the Freudian id, ego, and superego. Yeah. It's almost like Super Soul is Kowalski's super ego. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, uh, that we brought up the Dante. Yeah, you're right. Virgil, Super Super Soul is Kowalski's Virgil. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, granting safe passage across the wasteland. Right. Yeah. Okay. The Derek Zoolander Award for the biggest idiots in the movies. I again the cops. cops. Uh, yeah, cops. to to lay it down more specific, I I said the Jehovah hippie cult. <laughs> yeah, fucking idiots. Um, Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat Award for best wardrobe and makeup. I put the nude writer. Hey, you know that's some good ma- that's some good makeup. I put her boyfriend Angel, the ups guy. Yeah, I liked his uh, his head dressing. It was quite nice. Yeah, he's pretty good. He's pretty good too. I mean, also Kowalski. He's pretty. He looks pretty badass. It's a simple. It's a simple drip, but he looks good. Looks cool. Yeah, he he wears them digs. Looks cool. All right, um, this one is where I kind of was. Uh, struggling, but the Cosmo Kramer Award for the most likely to appear in a Seinfeld episode. Who did you? I have? put Super Soul 
someone that they would you know encounter in the subway is just kind of like a ancillary character yeah i buy that that works for me the danny trail award for character most likely to have a spinoff i put angel yeah, that, that would be interesting. I mean, I went with the obvious choice of Kowalski. Uh, his 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 previous ventures seem really interesting. Um, yeah. But yeah, Angel, where did he get that huge fucking bottle of pills? You know, why did he end up out there in the desert? Yeah. Yeah. Questions, questions. Okay. Body count. Uno. Uno. I don't I don't Only think one. any of the cops died or else they would have charged him with something. Yeah, no cops. So it's just Kowalski. He's our he's our he's our lone corpse. Lone Ranger. Okay. Wiki wormhole. What do you got? Um back to my, my guy Kerry Lofton. In an interview with Paul Coslow, spoke about legendary stunt driver Kerry Lofton. One night coming home from location, Kerry was driving one of the challengers back to the hotel. He passed some New Mexico state troopers going 140 miles an hour, 145 miles an hour. He had four or five cops behind him with their lights on, but they couldn't catch up to him because they could only go about 125. Uh, he drove into this little town and he started to shut the car down. He pulled into the gas station. And I swear to God, he did a 360 in between the pumps and put the rear of the car, <laughs> the gas tank right in front of the super pump. Uh, he got out of the car like nothing happened and the troopers busted his ass right there. It says, uh, you should have seen these cops. They were fuming. They took him in and the producer had explained that Kerry was uh, testing the car, and that he did a lot of these spin-outs because of having trouble with the car. It's kind of funny, just like playing authentic playing playing tricks on the cops. You know? Yeah, Me- method stunt yeah. acting. Uh, again, Kerry Lofton, the squad's uh, car rollover anticipated by stuntman Kerry Lofton. He'd warn Seraphian and John Alonzo. Seraphian joke, now I'll know where to put the camera. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, this little bit of trivia kind of, it's one of these things that kind of pisses me off. Um, but the director said that the color white was chosen for the car simply so the car would stand out against the background scenery in the movie. White was not symbolic in any way. I just don't I buy don't it, man. Okay, and maybe, all right, here's, here's the say there was a conscientious effort. But I feel like in an almost Jungian symbolic archetype way, that the car was just almost like subconsciously chosen to be white. Right. But I just, I, when I hear things like that, I'm like, you're full of it. I know you chose that car for a particular reason, that color, because you could have picked a fucking bright red car. Right. Or a canary yellow car. Bright would have been perfect. Those would have... Yeah. Those would have stood out against the desert landscape, but you chose white. Right. And the character himself is wearing all white. So, again, I don't buy it that that was not intentionally chosen. Yeah. I mean, I, I would like to get a little more exposition on what the director has to say about the meaning of the film to him and the, and the, 
you know, symbolism of some of the characters. I saw some trivia when, when looking up some trivia on YouTube about the movie and, um, the, there was some directorial dissidence in the writing room about the movie and the direction, you know, one, one, one person would say, I think it was the director was saying that he wanted to write a movie about a person who is, who had troubles, who is in a car, but some of the others wanted to write a movie about a car who that has troubles, (laughs) you know? So, I mean, that seems really simple, but it is a huge difference. And so if there was like a, and there was a direct, there was a, there was a direction change on the end scene. There was supposed to be more to it, but it ended up what it is, which I'm very grateful for. Um, but it makes me wonder, you know, what was it supposed to mean? What was it supposed to say to, to some of the people who were in the writing department, you know? So yeah, I, it's just a long way of saying, I definitely think there's more going on with the symbolism than, than what's laid out in that tidbit factoid. Yeah. I think it's like one of those interesting situations where, cause again, like, I don't know fuck from shit about Seraphine's other movies. And I kind of went through his, his filmography and it, you know, it looked like he has, he might have some other interesting things, but it seems like this movie is kind of like the high point of his career, or this is like the, probably what would be considered his best directorial sure. work. And I almost wonder if it was one of those just kind of like coincidences of like, he wasn't a great director, but the source material and the script, uh, the script was good enough that in anybody's hands, yeah. it was going to come out right. well. Like, even if it was like a director that kind of like didn't get yeah. it. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of a slam dunk story, you know. Um, so Charlotte Ramp, this is kind of interesting. Charlotte Rampling had a role as a hitchhiker who Kowalski met while en route, but her scenes were deleted before the U.S. release. The scenes were included for the U.K. release. The DVD release includes both the U.S. and U.K. versions. Did you happen to watch the U.K. scenes? No, and I wish I would have because I wanted to see the scenes with Charlotte Rampling. I don't know. How familiar are you with Charlotte Rampling? Not very. Yeah, I love Charlotte Rampling. Uh, She was in the movie The Night Porter, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a great movie. Um, She also is in Warlock. (laughs) Okay, yeah. You you remember Warlock with Julian Sands? I love Julian Sands. I love Warlock. One of the movies that I've been meaning to talk about on this oh. show, but um, she plays the um, she plays the occultist in Warlock mm-hmm. that gets her eyes gouged mm-hmm. out. Wait, I think I'm getting mixed up here. No, sorry. Charlotte Rampling is in. I believe she's in Angel Heart. Have you seen Angel Heart? Another one of those movies that I don't think so. Want to talk about? Let me get this sussed out because 
they're kind of similar characters in two different movies. Well, in the meantime, um, interestingly, yeah, the speedometer and tachometer are never shown in Kowalski's car, only the fuel gauge. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So that was interesting. This, this rambling set of scenes, <clears throat> I've never seen them either because I never owned this on DVD. But it there was a whole segment of this movie, a bunch of scenes that got cut, <clears throat> where it was very much leaning into her character was death. And that okay. Kowalski, you know, throughout the movie, you see many scenes where he, um, like, says no to grass, right? He does speed, but he, no other drugs. And this is the one time yeah. when he meets up with her that he smokes pot and he decides to pull over it at the time when he gets stoned. There's also a bit of a plot gap because these scenes are taken out that he's, you know, Saturday evening, he's in one place and then Sunday morning, he's all of a sudden like almost to the end of his journey. It, I, I can't remember. I'm paraphrasing, but the the distance in which he would have traveled is skewed and what we see in the American version is doesn't really make sense because it doesn't account for all that time he was with rambling on their journey. But, you know, she says something kind of similar to the motorcycle babe and that like, you've known me for a long time. We've crossed paths many times in your life, but this will be the final time. And so that's kind of, you know, this, maybe like final vision that he has sort of thing. And then the next morning he, yeah, he bulldozes his own ass. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. That would, yeah. That'd be yeah, cool the, to, upon a revisit, go back and try and check, check out the UK version just to catch that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it has obviously, like you mentioned, has both versions on the DVD, which I have the Blu-ray. I have time, I'll watch it before and I'll let yeah. you know um, what my takeaway is. But sorry, yes, I was I was getting mixed up. She is in Angel Heart. She plays, there's an occultist basically in Angel Heart. Um, anyways, go ahead. I was just going to say it's occultist in one movie portraying death in this movie. It's it's kind of funny. Like the, um, I, I don't know, I, I never. I, I don't think I ever watched Night Porter. What what kind of character is she playing that? Is she just typecast to be a mystic? Well, sort of. She it's she plays um she plays um strong eccentric female characters. So in Night Porter, she plays a Jewish woman that basically becomes like a prisoner of war during Nazi Germany. Um, and she ends up basically having a love affair with her Nazi captor and begins in like a fetishist, fetishistic BDSM sort of way, starts wearing uh, Nazi regalia mm. So there becomes like this almost like Stockholm syndrome sort of scenario where she goes from being, you know, a captor to a lover. It's a, it's a very, it's a very, 
odd movie and and, and very um, controversial. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, so this is kind of interesting. The scene where Kowalski talks to Jake, that's the Benny's guy that he bets um, on the phone after he arrives in California, was originally longer. It had an establishing shot showing Challenger drive up to the phone booth in the middle of nowhere. Serafian was disappointed after the scene was cut down because he felt it added more surreal moments to the film. There were more similar scenes which were cut out of the film entirely, like, for example, Kowalski looking into his rearview mirror and seeing a posse of horses chasing after him during one of the chase scenes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, again, it, it kind of makes you wonder if if the director had his way and all of these extra elements were in the movie, would it have even leaned, would it have leaned so far into the spiritual narrative that it would be too on the nose, you know? Yeah. Or, or is that to suggest that like Kowalski is just fucking fried out of his mind from being up for days? Sure. You know? Yeah. I think that could be another thing where it's just kind of, it is giving that hallucinatory effect because of it is his state of mind right. has nothing necessarily to do with like it being, you know, <laughs> metaphysical or spiritual parallel. Yeah. <laughs> Parable, I should say. Right. Um, back to motorcycle, babe. Gilda Texter had three films released in 1971. This one, Angels Hard. Uh, oh, excuse me. Angels Hard as They Come and The Runaway. She was fully naked in all of them. She never acted again. <laughs> uh, obviously, we've got some critics out there. You'd already mentioned the um, Guns N' Roses parallel there. Yeah. Um, Guillermo Cabrera, uh, he's the writer. He modeled his Super Soul character after the Big Bopper. Yeah. Hello, baby. Hello, baby. Uh, And also the. It was said that there was uh, eight challengers used for this movie. Serafian states on the commentary that 870 Dodge Challenger RTs were actually utilized during production, and when filming had wrapped, only one Charger RT remained. So pretty gnarly, uh, pretty gnarly stunt work. Which yeah. is crazy because I did some, I did some research about the car when I was doing some kind of um, ancillary research for the movie. And this car in the time that it was being sold, 1970, brand new went for about three grand. <laughs> Imagine that. That's why. Imagine that shit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what I wouldn't give to have a 1970 Challenger for three grand. What I wouldn't give to have a fucking bag of glass. Oh, excuse me. (laughs) Yeah. All right. All right. That was good. Good movie. Um, Thanks for bringing that one to the table. Sure thing. I am happy. I'm pleased that you, uh, upon first watch, appreciated it as much as you did. Yeah. 
quite enjoyed it. Okay, that being said, we got to rate this movie and give it an iconography, etc., etc. What is our iconography for this movie? I mean, I just can't get enough of the fucking random huge bottle of pills. You know, <laughs> that's pretty badass. Okay. So that's and that's good for uh, measuring uh, um, divisible quantities. Yeah, sure. So, out of five big old pill bottles <laughs> of Benny's, what do we give this, Brandon? Uh, I, I, you want to give it a five? I can. Tell. I'm going to give it a four and a half. There you go. I mean, it's right up there. It's you know you took a little of them pills just to just to get charged for the film. If it wasn't for that, it'd be a five. Just a little, little sprinkle. You know, again, because I like to reserve the perfect scores for movies that I have more of an intimate relationship with. I'm going to hold off because yeah. I do think this is a great movie. I just need to spend some more time with it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when you start a relationship with somebody, you start dating somebody, you start hanging out with a somebody. A new prost. You know. Yeah. It's not, it's not yeah, irregular. No, no, no sucker wants to be like head over heels right right off the get-go. Yeah, you look like a fool. Yeah. You look like a fool. You're, you're a fucking mark. You want to be a mark. That's right. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give this one a four pill bottle. Four pill. <laughs> four, but like, but like, really packed. Yeah. To pills. the brim, sure. So, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's so, good. I, I think that that you know, for your introduction into this um, this uh, white line nightmare, as it were, <laughs> I'll take four bottles of Benny's. Four, four bottles of Bennies on the bottle. wall. Four bottles of Bennies. <laughs> is this a midnight movie? Well, it certainly is a cult movie. Sure. Yeah, I would say that. I don't know if it's necessarily. It's a drive-in, it's a drive-in movie. movie. Also. Yeah, definitely. And if you were to consider the era in which it came out, it would be approacheth a cult movie. But I'd see this on AMC in the middle of the afternoon now, or or yeah. uh, you know, TBS or something. I agree. Some matinee movie, yeah. early evening drive-in sure. movie. Watch it with the top down. Hey, you watch it early in the afternoon so you can come back for that double feature. That that gone in sixty seconds. Right. Vanishing point double feature. Yep, that's it. So that being said, we're going to cap off our block of self-destruction movies. With a guest, I'll bring another guest on to the show next mm-hmm. week. And who is the guest? Jeffrey Owens. You may know him from a uh, uh, famed Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona band, Goya. Real good, heavy, See, heavy kind of doomy stuff. See, I want. I thought you were going to say he's like the heiress to the Goya bean <laughs> bean uh, company. Yeah, no, no such luck. No such thing. Um, yeah, and we're going to be talking about Lars von Trier's Antichrist. 2009 freak show, baby. Hell yeah. 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 With uh, our, our boy. Mr. Um, Will, yeah. Willem. Mr. Long Dong himself. Mr. Long Dong Stuntman. 
can't remember if... Oh, yeah. No, I was going to say, if we talked about uh, movies as Willem Dafoe, duh, of course we have. We uh, Way, way back, we talked about um, Streets of Fire, which has one of my favorite movie characters, one of my favorite Willem Dafoe characters of all time, Raven Shattuck. Yeah, or after you watch Antichrist, you may know him as Willem Diswingin' Dick. Dat Dick. <laughs> This has been another deep dive in the Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for our intro music. Our outro music is provided by whom? Uh, this will be provided by our French compatriots, Horse Nation. Uh, tune okay. off their new album, Dearth, and the song is called Everyday Kriegspiel. Some good lads Some there. fine lads. Some, some grindcore, Besançon lads. Yes. Okay. That's great. Great band. Great song, I'm sure. I'm not familiar with it, but I'm sure it's a good song because they, they're a good band. Okay. Uh, if you want to drop us a line, you can at midnightflixpod at gmail.com or follow us on the socials at midnightflix. For next week, again, we're going to see you out in the desolate forest, the satanic church. 